Hello, friends. It's October 9th, and I hope you're doing well and ready to join us on today's excursion as we make headway through the scriptures. Welcome to today's shared experience, reading and meditating upon God's Word. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, and I am your host, David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher here at the New Life Ministry Center in Concord, Massachusetts. Do you ever struggle with life's perplexities? Are you tempted to think that you have been pitched a curveball? You are not alone. Life is not simple. It's full of unpredictable turns of events. Even the prophets find themselves on occasion baffled and dismayed by perceived injustices. But God is not silent. He also knows that we are in training for reigning with Him in the future, and hardships are part of the curriculum. As we read the Old Testament, we hear the occasional complaint of the psalmist and prophet. Today we hear one from the prophet Jeremiah, and in the New Testament we start Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, who are also facing questions about suffering, hardship, and also the loss of beloved members of their congregation. But the word of God speaks. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you will find that God addresses our concerns. So let's start out with our Old Testament reading where we left off yesterday. We begin with Jeremiah chapter 12. The English Standard Version titles this Jeremiah's Complaint. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them, and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away, because they said, He will not see our latter end. The Lord answers Jeremiah, If you have raced with men on foot, and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers and the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me, therefore I hate her. Is my heritage to me like a hyena's lair? Are the birds of prey against her all around? Go, assemble all the wild beasts, bring them to devour. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard, they have trampled down my portion, they have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness, they have made it a desolation, desolate it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to heart. Upon all the bare heights in the desert destroyers have come, for the sword of the Lord devours from one end of the land to the other. No flesh has peace. They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvests because of the fierce anger of the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them up from their land, and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them again each to his heritage and each to his land. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name, as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares the Lord. Chapter 13 The Ruined Loincloth Thus says the Lord to me, Go and buy a linen loincloth, and put it around your waist, and do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth, according to the word of the Lord, and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time, Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise, go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a cleft of the rock. So I went, and hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. And after many days the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates, and dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, Even so I will spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people, who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. The jars filled with wine. You shall speak to them this word, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Every jar shall be filled with wine. And they will say to you, do we not indeed know that every jar will be filled with wine? Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of this land, the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will dash them one against another, fathers and sons together, declares the Lord. I will not pity or spare or have compassion, that I should not destroy them exile threatened. Hear and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness, before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains, and while you look for light, he turns it into gloom and makes it deep darkness. But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears, because the Lord's flock has been taken captive." Say to the king and the queen mother, Take a lowly seat, for your beautiful crown has come down from your head. The cities of the Negev are shut up, with none to open them. All Judah is taken into exile, wholly taken into exile. Lift up your eyes and see those who come from the north. Where is the flock that was given you, your beautiful flock? What will you say when they set as head over you, 
those whom you yourself have taught to be friends to you? Will not pangs take hold of you like those of a woman in labor? And if you say in your heart, Why have these things come upon me? It is for the greatness of your iniquity that your skirts are lifted up and you suffer violence. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. I will scatter you like chaff driven by the wind from the desert. This is your lot, the portion I have measured out to you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. I myself will lift up your skirts over your face, and your shame will be seen. I have seen your abominations, your adulteries and neighings, your lewd whorings on the hills in the field. Woe to you, O Jerusalem! How long will it be before you are made clean? Chapter 14 Famine, Sword, and Pestilence The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns, and her gates languish. Her people lament on the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem goes up. Her nobles send their servants for water. They come to the cisterns. They find no water. They return with their vessels empty. They are ashamed and confounded and cover their heads. Because of the ground that is dismayed, since there is no rain on the land, the farmers are ashamed. They cover their heads. Even the doe in the field forsakes her newborn fawn, because there is no grass. The wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail because there is no vegetation. Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Thus says the Lord concerning this people. They have loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah's faith has been sustained through his ministry challenges so far. But from chapter 11, verse 18, when Jeremiah is shown by the Lord that the men of Anathoth were plotting to kill him, he begins to question God, doubt the worthiness of his mission, and is tempted to quit. He asks questions we have heard before. Why do the heathen prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease while my life is full of trouble? In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? The Lord answers Jeremiah with these revealing words. If you have run with footmen, and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. There are at least two meanings found in this reply. First, Jeremiah, who is feeling the strain of persecution and death threats, is being trained and strengthened for future trials that will be even more severe. Like a weightlifter in training, 
He is feeling the strain of the barbells that he has been given. He is building muscle with the weight resistance of his current load in order to be strong enough for the trials to come. No pain, no gain. The hard times make you strong. The Lord is indicating that He is sovereign and good. He has matters well in hand. He has a set course for Jeremiah in which he can learn of Christ's future sufferings and also be conformed to His character. Secondly, this statement reminds us that the Lord knows how much we can handle. He doesn't throw us into a race with the horses until He knows that we can keep up with the footmen. The Apostles Paul and Peter teach us to endure hardship in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, and chapter 4, verse 5, and to dignify our trials with a heart of thanksgiving, an attentiveness to God's grace, and an eagerness to learn whatever lesson we can from our engagement with difficulties. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord was grooming Jeremiah in a relatively safe contest, though Jeremiah thought being the subject of an assassination plot was hardly safe. God had plans to platform His grace in a greater way in the future by bringing Jeremiah into greater hardships, which would be more like the thickets by the Jordan than the land of peace of Jeremiah's present circumstances. Jeremiah is learning not to put his trust in other men, even his own family, in chapter 12, verse 6. For even your brothers and the household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you, even they have cried aloud after you. Do not believe them although they may say nice things to you. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 6. The shepherds of Israel were no longer acting in the interests of the sheep. Many shepherds have ruined my vineyard. They have trampled down my field. They have made my pleasant field a desolate wilderness. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 10. There is a recurring postscript in Jeremiah's pronouncements of inevitable judgment, and it will come about that after I have uprooted them, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them back, each one to his inheritance and each one to his land. Jeremiah 12, verse 15. In chapter 13, Jeremiah is commanded to perform another mini-drama. He is commanded by the Lord to purchase a linen belt and personally wear it wrapped around his waist. Then he was to take it off his person and hide it in a crevice in the rocks at Perath. Many days later he was asked by the Lord to go to Perath and retrieve the linen from the rocks where it was hidden. It was ruined. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, Just so will I destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This wicked people, who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts, and have gone after other gods to serve them and to bow down to them, let them be just like this waistband, which is totally worthless. For as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole household of Israel and the whole household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they did not listen. Jeremiah 13, verses 8 through 11. Jeremiah then quotes a proverb that would have been familiar to his hearers. Every wineskin should be filled with wine signifying the promise of prosperity, like our American baby boomer proverb, a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. But instead of reaping the benefits of the promise, they are reaping the worst-case scenarios. Instead of the satisfaction of good wine, they will reap the havoc and destruction of drunkenness. It would be like saying, instead of a chicken in the pot to satisfy your hunger, you will be getting salmonella poisoning to make you sick.
instead of a car in your garage so you can travel, you will suffer the calamity of a car crash or carbon monoxide poisoning that will kill you. He includes the kings, the priests, and the prophets in his prediction of Jerusalem's destruction. Jeremiah is filled with holy boldness. He had to be bold. God told him to say this to King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, Nehushtah. Take a lowly seat, for your beautiful crown has come down from your head. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 18. When they ask themselves why this has happened to us, they are told it is because of their sin and their proud, unrepentant hearts. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. In chapter 14, Jeremiah predicts a drought. Although Jeremiah prays penitently in verses 7 through 9, the Lord says that his people have passed the point of receiving mercy and now must face their judgment. In chapter 14, verse 10. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, beginning with chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2 For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament portion from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. It is believed by many biblical scholars that Paul's letter to the Thessalonians is the earliest written apostolic epistle in the New Testament. 
Paul brought the gospel to Europe on his second missionary journey in the years 49 through 50 AD. He had a vision while in Asia Minor, that is in Troas, to go to Macedonia. After being imprisoned and beaten in Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, probably in the early summer of 50 AD, according to Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. He preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths that Jesus is the Christ. Some believed, but others stirred up a mob to persecute Paul's host, Jason, and charged Paul and Silas with insurrection, that they served another king, one Jesus. So they sent Paul and his companions away to Berea. But the church they left behind in Thessalonica thrived amid controversy and opposition. Paul sent Timothy from Athens to Thessalonica to learn how the believers in Thessalonica were maturing as a body of believers. He returned with a glowing report of their growth as disciples and with their doctrinal questions about the second coming of Christ. He also encourages them to pursue personal holiness. Thessalonica was an important port city on the northwestern corner of the Aegean Sea. It was the capital city and the largest in Macedonia. It attracted business from far and wide, not only because of its harbor, but because it was situated on the Ignatian Way, the military highway joining Rome to the east. As with Corinth, evil and licentious living flourished, fueled by its heathenism and idol worship. Paul writes to commend them for turning from idols to serve the living and true God, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. He also commends them for recognizing the hope of the gospel, that the crucified, risen, and ascended Jesus Christ is coming again and will rescue his people from the promised wrathful judgment awaiting the unrepentant. Like a good doctor, Paul checks the church for vital signs, love motivating their labor, faith inspiring their work, and their endurance inspired by their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. This assures Paul that they were chosen. The gospel had taken root not just in their heads, not just in lip service, but that the Holy Spirit had changed their lives and given them a deep conviction of Christ's finished work of redemption and His supremacy over all things. Their God is real. Their love and their faith were real. Paul reminds them that, although his visit to their city resulted in persecution and his personal expulsion, the mission was not a failure. The persecution only proved the genuineness of Paul's loyalty to the gospel truth. Their endurance proved the genuineness of their hope in Christ. Their fruitfulness in the midst of hardship proved the reality of their conversion. Paul's ministry is described in the tender terms of a spiritual parent. This is a great example for moms and dads as they minister to their children and an example to those in the process of making disciples. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7-9 through 9 and we look forward to reading more tomorrow. Let's go now to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, Psalm 79. How long, O Lord? A Psalm of Asaph. Psalm 79. O God, 
The nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins, for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you, according to your great power. Preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation we will recount your praise. Psalm 79 is written in the aftermath of Jerusalem's destruction and the temple's defiling by the Babylonian invasion. Despite these desperate circumstances, the Lord is still seen by the psalmist as Israel's king. Though despised and rejected, though his commandments were disobeyed, and the people turned to other gods, the Lord remained true to who he is as the keeper of his promises. The psalmist cries for a turnaround. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Psalm 79, verse 9. So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. To you, all generations, we will tell of your praise. Psalm 79, verse 13. Now let's move on to our final stop in our Bible reading tour today, the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verses 30 through 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. How easily we opt for comfort! How quickly to go the way of the least resistance! The ruined field of the sluggard is filled with excuses. This work is too hard. Someone else will do it. Some day I'll get around to it. Soon poverty comes like a robber, leaving you in want. Learn from the field of the sluggard and compare it to the field of the diligent. Now let's take what we've learned from our reading today before the Lord in prayer, and may the Lord seal the benefits to our heart by the Holy Spirit. O Lord, we know that if we lean on our own understanding, our own strength and our own wisdom will forever come up short. We thank you for your remedy. You have given all that we need in Christ. You have united us with Him, your perfect solution. 
and he has become for us our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. The condition of our hearts was unsalvageable. Thank you for Christ's work on the cross, which executed the sentence of death upon our heart of stone and given us a new heart that is alive and responsive to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you empower us to serve your purposes as you build your church. Give us parental affections for your children whom we serve. In Jesus' name, amen. It is such a wonderful thing to have our affections turned towards the Lord and things that are eternal, to be inspired to make investments in people's lives, to function as spiritual fathers and mothers, bringing nurture and care to those we have God-given opportunities to minister to. Let's ask the Lord throughout the day to motivate our words and our deeds in a redemptive fashion. God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow as we continue our reading in Jeremiah and Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians and move on to Psalm 80 and further in the Proverbs. Until then, if you have any questions or comments and you'd like to contact us, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries or New Life Fine Arts, you can go to our websites, newlife.org or newlifefinearts.org. And if you would like to subscribe to a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's Bible reading, you can subscribe there freely at newlife.org. So until next time, may your heart's affections be set on things above and inspire your words and deeds to make a difference here below. Shalom. Shalom.